Global Capital Podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Global Capital Podcast. I'm Ralph Sinclair and I'm the Frequent Issuers Managing Editor at Global Capital. And I'm Tom Lemon, uh, Deputy Securitisation Editor for Global Capital. I'm Manju Dalal, Deputy Editor for Global Capital Asia. I cover the Asian bond markets. And we release a new episode every Friday, so please go and search for us on any podcast platform you have and uh, subscribe. You can also read more on everything we discuss on the podcast and much more besides at globalcapital.com. Now this week we'll be discussing why it's crunch time in European structured finance, but first it was a tumultuous week in the Asian bond market. Not only does it face all the same pressures as the rest of the world in terms of inflation, rising rates, looming recession and the higher volatility that goes with it, but it has more localised problems too, such as the defaulting Chinese property sector. But this week, the US added to the fun when Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House of Representatives, became the most senior US politician in a quarter of a century to visit Taiwan, sparking a diplomatic incident with China in the process. Uh, Manju, the controversy here is that China thinks it should have sovereignty over Taiwan and that the US undermined its one China policy with this visit. Um, How did China retaliate? So, Ralph, um, you know, this issue has been in offing for some time and everybody was hoping um, that Pelosi doesn't land in Taipei, but it did. So what happened was um, from Wednesday onward, China has suspended some exports of um, products such as natural sand and uh, some imports to Taiwan. And as we speak, um, there are wall drills going on um, in at the Taiwan Strait. Looks like the Tension will between China and Taiwan will continue for some time. So we are in for some more um, more days of um, volatility in the markets. Okay, now we'll come back to the um, what what they're banning in terms of imports and exports and blockades and stuff in a bit. But um, yes, let's talk about the what that effect it had on the Asian bond market. Now there were a couple of pulled deals this week, weren't there? Was that the um, was that related to? The tension between China, Taiwan, and the U.S. Or was there was there more to it than that? So, as you know, the Asian bond market has been quite volatile this year, and there have been a lot of factors. Um, but Pelosi's visit did add to the, a lot of headwind. So, um, from the beginning of the year, um, the market has been like uh, facing rate volatility, the geopolitical uh, political tensions, you know, around. Ukraine, Russia has been impacting that. And we have seen the volumes really, really dwindling down. And Pelosi's visit was, you know, sort of um, um, came at the timing when issuers had a very, very narrow window to issue this week. And we have two deals which were cancelled before the launch. And one of the issuers which did press ahead with the deal had to pull the deal um, before announcing the final guidance. Right, and and was there anything to and that, that presumably was because the market was more volatile because of the um, the situation in Taiwan. Is that is that fair to say? It is fair to say because um, Nance, uh, Pelosi was um, in um, Singapore on Monday, and you know the um, issuers were going out on the roads, um, you know, announcing the mandates and the road shows. And from what we understand from the DCM bankers who 
conducted the road shows, you know, there was a clear sort of, um, you know, confusion among the investors, like which way the situation will go if she, uh, Pelosi indeed lands in Taipei and, you know, what, um, in how China will retaliate in, in return. Um, the spreads really, really widened for some Chinese names, especially the high yield, um, you know, just before this, um, um, thinking, um, you know, this debate whether she will land in Taipan, uh, Taiwan, um, was going on. Um, although, um, you know, the market did a little bit stabilize, um, the day she landed because, you know, everybody was hoping, you know, things will still, will be not that bad. Um, but that's now how it is. Did you get the sense, Manju, that um, obviously you know two issuers went as far as sticking their head above the parapet and tried to actually bring deals? But did you get a sense from your contacts in the market that other issuers were going to try to come this week but had withdrawn before they even came to the market? Yes, indeed. Um, you know, we heard from a lot of DCM bankers that there are a lot of issuers who were looking for intraday launches. And they could not do that, um, except for one of the Aussie issuers, which, you know, could do the deal because it was a Yankee deal. Um, so which which issue was that? Sorry. I think it was Westpac. All right. So that's, that's quite a different sort of... Actually, we'll come on to that shortly. We'll talk about um, hmm. who can do a deal and who can't in a second. But yeah, sorry, carry on. So uh, indeed, uh, you know, uh, issuers uh, were also like waiting for a clear window who technically can issue a day, uh, you know, issue a deal without, you know, any pre-marketing. But um, two issues clearly said, okay, we can't get the uh, levels we want. Even the interest was quite uh, visibly very less for the, uh, for the deals, which we saw finally, which which was launched and eventually pulled. Yeah. Okay. But it wasn't, it wasn't all bad news, was it? I mean, there were some deals that went ahead. Um, what were they and what does that tell us about what Asian uh, or buyers of Asian bonds will be willing to part money with? Yeah, so there's one thing about Asia. It's like it's quite different from, say, US or Euro- uh, US, particularly not Europe, um, in the sense that you have, you know, different countries, different jurisdiction, different kind of uh, issuers and, you know, the ratings differ. So Singapore is stands out uh, very clearly with its top-notch rating and the way it is managed. And the ministry has already announced um, that they will be coming out with the uh, inaugural green bond. Um, so- this is the monetary authority of Singapore, right, is the issue on this, that, which is effectively the Singapore sovereign, isn't it? Indeed, yeah. So Monetary Authority of Singapore, or MAS, uh, uh, is the issuer, and uh, they were sounding a 30-year and a 50-year bond on Monday. Um, you know, the investor feedback we gather was very good from the beginning, but of course, there was some kind of... Um, uh, indecision just before the deal was launched um, that whether they should go ahead with or not and finally they decided they should because they they got a very good f- feedback from uh, long-term investors and did they and they they raised uh, uh, 2.4 billion Singapore dollars 50-year inaugural green bond um, with a peak book uh, touching uh, more than um, 5.3 billion um, so indeed uh, it shows that um, for the right name, for the right credit, or perhaps the right tenor uh, and structure, you know, there is demand from investors. Well, if we look at that deal, 
Manju. And then we look at the two that didn't come. Uh, one was for a South Korean financial institution. The other was a Hong Kong listed um, uh, manufacturing company, I think, Johnson Electric. Um, what that seems to tell me, uh, as something of an outsider to that particular market, is that investors in Asian bonds will will go for quality at the moment, credit quality over and above everything else. Um, do you think that's do you think that's fair or or not? Well, it's an interesting observation, Ralph, um, but it is not entirely correct all the time. Uh, See, so for instance, the Hong Kong listed Johnson Electric is very well known, well regarded, uh, you know, credit, uh, but investors didn't take, you know bite the bullet on the bond. Now, what went wrong? is something we don't know entirely, but probably they were pricing was the issue or the tenor. But, and so is the case with the South Korean NH investment and securities, which is one of the largest security houses in, in the country. So credit-wise, it may not be always the issue, but definitely um, there is one thing which we get to hear very, very often nowadays is um, investors are becoming very, very choosy and they are unlike you know previous times they will open up their cards and tell you what they're thinking what levels they can come in they are not opening up so freely to the um you know book runners uh, which is um which is very interesting and could also give rise to a lot of uncertainty uh, in, yeah. in future well, well speaking of that uncertainty i guess i guess you know a lot of the tension between uh chinese prescriptions and what the Taiwanese can export and import. Um, I mean, yeah, it might be natural sand and citrus fruit now, but I guess what people are really worried about is whether this will hit the uh, semiconductor industry. Taiwan um, has like 10% of the world's semiconductor manufacturing capacity, um, which is the same as for all of Europe. Um, And I guess people must be worried that the, uh, the Chinese sanctions could stretch further to include that. I mean, there's already a global semiconductor shortage as there is. It's, do you get the sense that that's what's driving the fear uh, in Asian bond markets in particular? Uh, we can say that to a great extent um, because, um, you know, the biggest chip maker, the Taiwan Semiconductor Manufacturing Company, recently did come to the bond market as well, and they paid a very handsome new issue concession which is sort of is a reflection that, um, you know, there is definitely um, uh, a nervousness somewhere among investors uh, about which way, you know, the situation will pan out um, with regard to um, China and Taiwan and in what ways it will impact the industries there. In fact, Taiwan Semiconductor's stock has been down um, ever since Pelosi visited. Um, so, uh, um, uh, not a very positive sign because semiconductor uh, industry is connected to globally <laughs> to everyone, to yeah. Apple and others. Yeah. yeah. I was wondering, really, as as China becomes more, as, at least as the tension with China and the US increases, um, how does that sort of seep into to the broader? the broader markets outside of China, are they all, do they all suffer from this volatility in the same way? Or is it like, obviously, is it certain countries that really, really struggle, like Hong Kong maybe, and Taiwan in particular struggle, but then further afield to India and Singapore, they're not really affected? 
Well, Tom, uh, if I can take this question to how um, you know the bond issuers from other countries are reacting to the situation, um, it will tell a yeah. little bit of a story of how you know things uh, will impact if China uh, really uh, the situation in China really becomes um, say uh, goes back to worse. Um, so China issuers are the biggest issuers, as you know, from Asia, and the numbers uh, have been down quite a bit this year. Uh, what happened when you know the supply has been dwindling is that investors who have been sitting on the cash have been looking to buy other credits. Um, but if you look at the options, you have only Indonesia, India, Singapore, a bit of Philippines, you know, so the supply is very limited from rest of Asia. And for India, the issuers have been totally out of the market for last two, three months now because the onshore funding has been way, way cheaper. So they, it doesn't make sense for them to come to the dollar market. So it, it's a quite a very unique situation where you are you're totally stuck where the major issuers are sort of not there, um, even onshore China funding is much cheaper, so the you know the usual big SOE issuers who have been coming to the market in the last few years, they are just sitting quietly and tapping into the onshore liquidity. So it's it's going to be very tricky going forward, which way um, you know the Asian bond market moves. Is is there an expectation at all, Manju, that um, China will escalate further? Uh, its sort of sanctions with Taiwan, or do we think this was um, a sort of a shot across the bowels this week, and that there's nothing further to be said about it? Well, um, that's a very interesting and a billion-dollar question, Ralph. But uh, <laughs> I, I won't have a clear answer, or I personally won't know what will happen in future. But if you look at what China itself is dealing with, is it's it's quite quite problematic in the sense that their economy is, um, you know, uh, not doing that well. They're, they're also fighting inflation. And you have seen news today that a lot of um, cities in China also went, um, you know, the COVID situation flared up there. So you would have more lockdowns, which is not helping either the economy or their one of the biggest sectors, the property sectors, which is hitting the headlines globally. So it looks like uh, from what we hear from analysts and bankers that it would make sen- sen- you know, a sense for China to a little bit slow down and focus on their own, own problems and sort them out before they actually go out and you know, create any more turmoil globally. As it is, we are facing enough situations outside. Indeed, indeed. And, and, and another one of those situations is in Europe, in the... Um structured finance market. Now, it's perhaps not quite as, uh, I guess, the global ramifications aren't perhaps quite as obvious. Uh, but nonetheless, it's important to us and our, our beloved readers. And that's the uh, situation in the European market for collateralized loan obligations. Now, you're here to tell us about that, Tom. Uh, first of all, what the hell is a collateralized loan obligation to those who don't know? <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah, so um, it's, it's a securitization uh, of leveraged loans, essentially. So, uh, you, the the CLO manager, if you like, will will buy a load of leveraged loans, and then they will package them up uh, into a securitization, 
um, to sort of efficiently, just like any normal uh, securitization, you would, you'd have your, your different tranches. So depending on the, the level of risk you're comfortable taking as an investor, um, you, you can have a different slice of the, of those, of those loans. Um, and yeah, that's basically it. Okay. So a CLO manager buys a load of loans, chucks them in a box and then pays out whatever he earns from those loans. Uh, I guess, you know, um, with a greater guarantee of being paid to the, I guess the notes in the CLO that rated AAA and then so-and-so, so-and-so down the, the credit spectrum. Yeah. And at the bottom, there's uh, there's something called an equity tranche, isn't there? Now, now, what the, what is that and why is that necessary? Right. So, so when you've, so the, the structure typically, in a typical CLO, like you say, it goes from AAA generally down to single B. Um, and the equity tranche is beneath that. And and what they the equity investor does is is they essentially give you the money, give the CLO manager the money to start buying up those leveraged loans to create the CLO structure itself. So naturally, then you need the equity investor first to get the CLO created to warehouse the CLO and ramp it up. Right. Um, if you don't have the equity investor, you don't have a CLO. You can't make one. So they're very important. They take the biggest risk, but they also expect the best returns. But perhaps it's the most uncertain return, isn't it? Because I think they get paid out last, don't they? Of uh... yes. So it's a, it's a waterfall system, just like uh, just like uh, any any pretty much any a standard securitization. The you know the there's the the AAA guys get paid first, and and it and it waterfalls down, and they are they essentially take what's left and and you know over the last few years i mean i mean clos have given given those equity investors uh, a pretty good return um i think you know they're expecting good well over 10% and um and and very i i, I don't think a clo in the last 10 years has defaulted in europe so so it's a pretty resilient product as mm. well. Okay. Now your story, um, that we're, or rather the story that you've written with uh, Zbigniew, our uh, European Securitization reporter, um, you talk about the arbitrage uh, in in CLO deals disappearing. Now that's particularly important to the equity investors in getting them to show up in the first place. But can you can you tell us what what it is you're referring to when we're talking about the arbitrage in a CLO? So so when the whole idea is that you're buying the leverage loans and you expect them as as a group to perform you know relatively well um and then it's the it's the cost at which you're buying the leverage loans and then the cost at which you're you're selling them on um in the CLO and the difference between that is is your that's the arbitrage is your arbitrage and that is sort of particularly for the equity investors that doesn't seem to be working the numbers that, to make a, a bit of arbitrage that you typically have they're not quite fitting together i think one one clo manager said it's it's sort of dislocated right right um so so what's what's changed then is the is the 
price as the cost of leveraged loans for a CLO manager to buy changed or are they not able to sell these CLOs at uh, such an expensive price anymore? What's 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 eroded the arbitrage? Yeah, so there's there's a few things. There's um there's you know, there's the the AAA spreads or spreads in CLOs. Um they they have widened quite quite drastically uh, over the last year uh the year to date let's mm. say and and in well actually i mean in particular since may by how much so so if you look at clo european clo triple a's um in in the start of may that you're probably looking at 120 basis points in the secondary market so so you might sell that for 105 110 for triple a was a pretty normal number um before may now uh, well actually until until about a week ago a week or two ago 220 basis points was the normal so we're looking at you know nearly a hundred hundred basis point jump on the triple a's right. and that is that is exaggerated the further down the cap stack you go yeah. so single b is uh is up nearly 600 basis points on the year okay so so the sellers of clos are having to give more away basically to entice investors to buy them uh, so there's less demand but why is there less demand do we do we have a, a read on that so in the in the us and and this this trickles down into europe in particular in the us um you know bank uh, the the bank investors um have have been one of the major buyers of AAA notes in particular uh, on CLOs. So, so I think they accounted for overall in in the U- US and Europe. They probably account for about sixty percent of the of the of the investor base right. for for AAAs. Now that's gone down to twenty five percent, and that's because they've been a bit worried about their own capital requirement needs. Um, and and um, and so they've sort of moved away from CLOs, pulled out a little bit. So there's less appetite on the AAAs from the US bank investors, um, which is which is pushing spreads wider on on the, on the AAAs. And then and then as we might we'll get onto there's 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 problems down the other end at the equity as well. Okay, well let's um, yeah. So what about the the buying side of the CLO exercise? What's happened to the price of leveraged loans? Is has there been any change there? Yes, so I think we were looking a couple of, you know, a couple of months ago. We were looking generally at about eighty, eighty-nine cash price for the for, you know, a leverage loan that you'd want to buy in mm-hmm. your portfolio, um, and that's gone on average up to about ninety-two, ninety, ninety-one and a half, maybe. Right. This is this is um, these these are prices expressed like bond prices, right? As a as a uh, percentage of face value. Yeah. Yes, exactly, and and as one banker explained it to me, he was like, "Well, you know, if you're that, if that's an average figure, and you're trying to buy, you're trying to pick the the, the best leverage loans for your CLO, the ones you think are less distressed and more likely to to uh, to to succeed in in the next couple of years." Um, though your your that price is probably even higher, so you're probably looking at around ninety three. Um, so that is squeezing it from the bottom, and then you're losing money on the top because it's bit get, you're it's getting wider on the AAA's yeah. as well. So you've got this sort of pressing effect um, from both sides that's really making it difficult for equity investors, in particular, you know, 
they're the guys that that put the money up first first of all and and you're saying mm, yeah it, <laughs> it's it's a pretty hard sales pitch for a CLO manager mm. I think so what's so what, so where are we left then because there were three deals that were priced this week um now does that tell us that it's you know it will be possible to do deals in future because I guess they would have had their equity commitments and everyone would have been in for those deals a little while before um mm. What's what's the sort of state of play right now in terms of further sort of CLO formation? Yeah, so so the spreads spreads in the secondary gives us an idea that, uh, and in both the Europe and, and the US, those spreads have tightened um, a fair bit. You know, around twenty basis points in the last week alone. Okay, so we're sort of saying that days. a CLO seller should be able to get more for his CLO than than in the last couple of weeks, right? Yeah, so th- so that's positive. Um, so that sort of gives you a bit of wiggle room, and then, but but then as well, you, I, I think we should caveat those three deals with, you know, that a couple of them were a bit funky, and they've got you know interesting discount margins and, and things like that to sort of um, to sort of entice investors. Okay, so they had to sweeten um, the pot a bit. Yeah, for sure. Um, so, but but yeah, it shows it's still possible. Um, but the big essentially the play the, the the strategy going on here um to entice the equity investors in the first place is to say you know listen the next two years yeah it, it could look a bit rough and 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 you might not make much money over the next two years um and that arm might not look like it's working but in two years time we reckon the economy, the outlook, spreads, everything's going to be a little bit better. Situation will be a little bit tighter. The spreads will be a little bit tighter so we can refinance that deal. And suddenly you'll receive all the gains that you would normally expect on a CLO. Right, because the CLO managers now, can often often change after a certain point in time what, what, CLO, what, yes. sorry, what leverage loans are in the CLO. Yes, and, and that's the sort of crucial moment when they re- refinance or reset a deal um to 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 for the equity investors to realize their gains and their returns um but that is you know as as people have as i've been talking to market participants that's that's quite a big risk right now mm, to say you know, in two years' time, don't worry, everything's going to be gravy. I think, um, I think that, it, you know, in the in the securitization world, we've been we've been thinking, I don't know what's going to happen in in May yeah. when when it's been March, let alone what's going to happen in two years. So, yeah, there's a big risk there. Yeah, well, we shall uh, we shall keep a close eye on that situation and see whether the arbitrage and the CLO spike completely disappears or whether equity investors are willing to buy this argument and uh, keep ploughing money in to keep this market ticking over. Um, yeah, I think there's two two other points as well. I think there's a there's a bigger question really for, for CLOs is, is that, you know, they've been very, very resilient as, as a product over the last, you know, 10, 15 years. They've, they've come through many different forms of crisis and and shown that they're up to the task um we are now entering i guess what you might call the the post great moderation period how will they adapt to that how 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 will they deal with rising inflation and rising interest rates and uh you know 
and potentially a recession as well. Um, yeah, because you would expect that, that, that would hit leverage loans question. most of all, wouldn't you, if anywhere? Exactly, exactly. So that's a big question for them that they that they need to answer. And, and you know, lots of them, lots of the managers and people in the market say, well, we, we, we came through COVID. Uh, uh, you know, we're, we're strong. We're, we're up for the fight. But, but COVID, you know, we had, there was global huge level of support for for companies so and that's not going to happen this mm. time so how they deal over the next couple of years can be really interesting to see but also i think as one banker said to me um while i was in sf vegas um uh, structured finance vegas conference you know the in they've that bank investor thing is a question about is the investor base deep enough and I think in Europe, we know across securitization, the investor base is probably not deep enough. Um, but it, and for, for it to, to thrive, it would probably need to get a bit deeper. But also in the US, even though it is a big market over, uh, stateside, um, whether that investor base can, can continue to grow and, and not rely on bank investors so much, that, that's going to be some of the big questions facing them for the years ahead. Yeah, well, it sounds like CLO issuers have a... Have a double job on their hands to both uh, entice more investors into their market at, <laughs> at both ends of the trade yeah it's it's going to be it's going to be interesting i think it, depending on who you talk to there, there's um there's a mixture of sort of right this is this is where we sort of uh set up set ourselves apart and then there are some other guys who are like god this is tough <laughs> uh, so so yeah it will be interesting to see and i think that picking your CLO manager well is going to be really important. We will see much bigger differentials between the the, the outstanding CLO picker, CLO manager, yeah. and the the slightly sub subpar one. Well, that's an interesting point, isn't it? Because in the US CLO market, for example, we've seen this year a lot of mergers between uh, CLO managers as they look to sort of scale up. And we also heard earlier in the year that when it came to uh, providing warehouse financing, that is to say when banks extend uh, credit facilities to CLO managers so that they can build up these these portfolios of loans, uh, that in fact uh, that was getting harder, especially for the smaller CLO managers. So this will presumably favour the bigger, uh, bigger, more tried and tested CLO managers. Yeah, you, you would assume so. Um, a lot of those, I, I can remember talking a, a few months back, actually, before, you know, really at the start of this, uh, of this shift, um, that, that some of the, the biggest, biggest players, they, they were able, they just had a schedule and they could just stick to it. Um, and, you know, if they took a little loss, it wasn't the end of the, the world. Mm. And if the ARB didn't quite work, it, it was okay. Mm. Um, but if you're, if, you know, if you're a slightly smaller shop, it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's very difficult. And you've got to, you know, you really, you don't have a, a massive business behind you to, to, to keep people coming back. Um, I think, you know, it's going to be difficult. And there are a lot of CLO managers out there. Well, and plenty moment. more over the last couple of years too, aren't there? Yeah, such, exactly. such a big couple of years for the CLO market. There are a lot of new companies yeah. have entered it. And uh, I wonder if they'll last. Maybe not. Yes. I think someone said to me, um, it was a bit like the, the idea of sort of the, how do you say, what, what is that phrase? Um, the, uh, 
the bigger you get, the the bigger they are, the the louder the fall. Harder they fall. The harder they fall. Yeah. Harder yeah. they fall. Exactly. They yes. just fall less often. Think, <laughs> yes. So it'll be interesting. It'll be very interesting to to watch it over. Yeah. Well, we'll so. we'll keep we'll keep posted on Global Capital for that. So Tom, whatever you said was super interesting, and sitting here in Asia where the CLO market has never taken off. Um, it, it is really good to hear the dynamics of what's going on in the market. Uh, but there's one thing which caught my attention while you were you know, talking about the market uh, was the, uh, the captive um, uh, investors in this market. Do you get to uh, see any cross-border in, interest in, in these deals? Yes, I'm, I'm pretty sure there is. I think there's a lot of US investor interest in the European CLOs mm. and I'm not I I'm not too sure what whether the European investors are are going are investing on the US side but I, I certainly think the US investors get involved on the European side um and I and I'm and I'm pretty sure that that's a general mm. trend that the the European uh, managers and the issuers, they, they are often touting their services to the US. So, and that's starting to uh, accelerate, I think, across securitization um, that, that European issuers are, are sort of looking to the US for to, to sort of widen their investor right. base. Yeah. No, there, there's another reason I asked that because, you know, this leads to the question mm. you earlier asked on what happens if the situation with China flares up and how it impacts globally, because we are increasingly, um, you know, hearing this chatter that the, the domestic Chinese investors, which were always buying into these Chinese uh, offshore bonds, are now backing out and they're looking for non-Chinese credit. And there have been few bankers who said they do look at CLOs quite a bit um, in in a, oh, in US more so, and also um, probably the equity tranches. So, so I'm not sure whether they are already there in the European market, but could. You know, I don't. I I I must admit, I don't know. But um, if we can make the time difference work, I think we've got a joint story for <laughs> for the next couple of weeks for us to to work on. For sure. <laughs> well, cons- consider yourselves commissioned. <laughs> yes, no, that yeah. is interesting. Yes, we will definitely cool. take a look at that. So to follow the plight of the CLO market in Europe or how China's policy towards Taiwan plays out in the capital markets, be sure to subscribe to this podcast or visit globalcapital.com. It only remains for me to thank Manju and Tom for helping me record this episode and to Gerald Hayes, our producer, for stitching it all together. We'll be back with more from the capital markets next week. So thank you very much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.